A daughter learning how to manage OCD was having a tough day. She said to her mom in frustration, I don't even know if OCD is real. In this podcast episode, I'll explore the question, is OCD real? And I'll offer a tip about how this mom might respond to her daughter. Do you have a child learning to manage OCD? Welcome to the OCD Power Parenting Podcast. Here you'll find the tips and tools to help you parent in a way to be a force for healing in your child's life. You'll learn what to say and what to do to help your child evolve into the best versions of themselves and launch your child with OCD into a successful adult life. So let's dive into today's episode. I went to visit a friend who had just moved into a new house. She said, Vicki, I've got to show you something. She took me up to her bedroom and opened her husband's sock drawer. There I saw perfectly folded pairs of socks fanned in neat rows organized by color. She said, is this OCD or what? Does my friend's husband, Alan, carry the diagnosis of OCD? Well, I don't know. There are many people who live in organized homes who do not have OCD, and there are people with OCD who live in very chaotic homes. OCD is a condition in which a person gets caught in the cycle of obsessions and compulsions. Obsessions are unwanted, intrusive thoughts or images or urges that trigger intensely distressing feelings. Compulsions are the activity that alleviate the pain of those unpleasant feelings. We all have unwanted thoughts. It's part of the human condition. Sometimes those thoughts get stuck in the brain like a song you hum all day. We all have thoughts about the future that cause us to have anxiety. That's part of the human experience too. What if I fail the test or don't get that job or freeze up when I'm making my presentation? And we all have ways of managing anxiety and other unpleasant feelings. Some are healthier than others. You could go out running or meditate or call a friend. Others try numbing their feelings with alcohol or shopping or binge watching Netflix. Does this mean we all have OCD? No. For people with the clinical diagnosis of OCD, their brains get stuck It's like backing out of the driveway and not being able to shift out of reverse. More importantly, the obsessions and compulsions get in the way of living life. Our kids with OCD can start avoiding situations that trigger obsessions. They can withdraw from friends or stop going to places because they're embarrassed about their compulsions, like rituals around getting in and out of cars. They can invest hours each day to their compulsions. So let's talk about the differences between a more neurotypical brain and a brain wired for OCD. Healthy brains are wired to scan the horizon for danger. One of the first questions the brain asks when it's in a new situation is, am I safe? Am I going to die? If the situation is deemed unsafe, the danger alarm goes off. Without conscious thought, our bodies get ready to spring into action, our hearts start racing, and our breathing gets shallow. Brains wired for OCD have very sensitive danger alarms 
that are set off by specific categories of unwanted thoughts or images or urges. These can include a fear of contamination, a need for symmetry or order, the need to do things just right, urges to harm, questions about being a bad or moral person, taboo sexual thoughts, or the rightness of relationships. We all implement one of four responses once the danger alarm goes off. Fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. Some creatures choose to fight. They turn and face the aggressor. They say there's nothing more dangerous than a mother bear protecting her cubs. Some creatures choose flight. When people in public places hear gunshots, their natural response is to flee. Sometimes freezing is a creature's best response. This helps you become invisible to the person threatening your life. There's a fourth option that you may not have been taught about in high school biology. That's fawning. In the fawn response, you immediately turn to please the aggressor and avoid conflict. This is the option some kids reach for if they're threatened by a bully. This is often the response our kids use when they try to please their OCD monster. It would be great if our brains could tell the difference between a real circumstance and an illusion, but it does not. If you're afraid of snakes and a friend says, look at my plastic snake, you'll have a strong visceral and emotional response, even though you know the snake is plastic. While the words fear and anxiety are used interchangeably, they are not. Fear is a response to a current situation. You see, hear, feel, smell, or taste something that could be dangerous. Anxiety, on the other hand, is a response to a thought that we could be in danger in the future, even though we're not in danger in the present moment. The situation is imagined. The brain cannot tell the difference between something that's imagined and something that's real. If you have a fear of flying, you're white-knuckled on the plane. However, your heart can start to race at the thought of getting on a plane. So, if you were walking back to the car with your child at night and you saw someone approach you wielding a knife, you would experience fear. If you're up at night worried about what the future holds for your child with OCD, you might experience anxiety. The most common unpleasant feeling for our kids with OCD is anxiety. They're not dealing with the here and now. The trigger for the obsessive thought may be here and now, but the consequences are usually in the future. Here's why it's important to distinguish between fear and anxiety. Fear is programmed in our brain. It's helped us to survive. However, anxiety is triggered by a thought, and you get to choose the thought that you believe. Let me give you some examples. When my patients were told that they had an abnormal mammogram, often the first thought is, what if this is cancer? What if I die? Now, imagine that you believe that thinking bad numbers or accidentally cheating on a test could cause someone you love to have cancer. These thoughts or urges or images can lead to high levels of anxiety, so they engage in these compulsions to bring their anxiety back down to baseline. 
Now, let me just be clear. A little anxiety is good. It gets us out of bed in the morning. However, at a certain point, adding more anxiety impairs performance. Now, there are many examples that illustrate the idea that more of a good thing is not always better. In fact, it can be dangerous. When I was in college, I was the eyes for a blind graduate student in experimental physics named Kent Cullors. If you saw the movie Contact, you were introduced to him. I once asked him how he lost his vision. He told me he was born prematurely in the 1950s. At that time, preemies had a very high risk of dying. Pediatricians knew that the babies who were given oxygen had a better chance of survival. Well, if a little is good, more must be better, they thought. So Kent was placed in an incubator with 100% oxygen. It turns out that this level of oxygen kills retinal cells. If you've ever undergone a surgical procedure, you know that the right dose of opioids helps you recover. However, when those same opioids are stolen and sold on the street, overdoses can be fatal. Our kids with OCD can go to 10 out of 10 anxiety in nanoseconds. This can be excruciating. My son says it's like having a heart attack. Now, when you have a headache or a toothache, you just want to make it stop. You might take aspirin or take time off of work to see a dentist. Again, that's a normal part of the human experience to want pain to stop. You have ways of calming yourself when you have fear or anxiety. You might take a deep breath. You might go online and do some research. You might reach out to a friend or pray. Compulsions are the activities that bring anxiety or fear back to baseline and restore equilibrium. For our kids with OCD, this might include washing and cleaning, checking and repeating, arranging objects, apologizing, or asking for forgiveness. So what is OCD? It's a cycle of obsessions and compulsions that get in the way of living. People with OCD might avoid activities that trigger obsessions. They can invest hours each day performing compulsions. They might experience the collateral damage of shame and embarrassment and have the sense that they're in it alone. Yes, OCD is real. The next question is this, how is OCD diagnosed? If you go to the doctor for pretty much any health concern, even strep throat, the doctor begins by listening to your story. Then you'll get a lab test or an x-ray or a biopsy to confirm the diagnosis. So what diagnostic test confirms the diagnosis of OCD? There is none that currently is considered the standard of care. Right now, most people get the diagnosis of OCD on the basis of a history and history is a crude diagnostic tool. It's easy to understand how and why kids would believe that they're just like anyone else who has unwanted thoughts or superstitions or rituals to make things go in their direction. My own son was diagnosed with OCD on the basis of an imaging study of his brain. I knew something in my son's brain was not right, And at the time, I suspected that he might have an atypical form of ADHD. After all, he had an attention problem. Quite 
Honestly, I was shocked at the diagnosis of OCD. It never even crossed my mind. However, once I looked at his behavior through the lens of OCD, everything started making sense. Now, let me be clear. I'm not suggesting that your child needs an imaging test. We're just beginning to correlate brain scans with observed behaviors. However, I predict that as we collect more data, we will use imaging studies to diagnose OCD and ADHD, just as imaging is used with medical conditions like brain tumors or strokes. However, this leads to a bigger question. Why be concerned about a diagnosis at all? A diagnosis is just a collection of words. Why is it important? Well, first, a diagnosis helps you understand why certain things are happening. Once my son got the diagnosis, things started making sense. Often the simple ability to understand is therapeutic. Plus, a diagnosis can help project what the future might hold. Second, a diagnosis guides treatment. Heartburn is treated differently if it's caused by acid reflux in the esophagus rather than insufficient oxygen flow to the heart. Third, you can get to the results you want more quickly, whether it's being cancer-free or getting rid of the pain of reflux. Once your child has the diagnosis of OCD, it's much easier to find the right help to put them in a situation in which OCD no longer holds them hostage. So let's get back to our initial question. Is OCD real? Yes, it is. There's a correlation between the challenges people with OCD face and brain scans. Does my friend Alan with the organized socks have OCD? I don't know. As I dug through my own sock drawer this morning, I saw the appeal of Alan's system of sock management. Does organizational consultant Marie Kondo have OCD? Well, I don't know, but her hugely popular show taps into the desire to create physical spaces that bring joy. Just because someone is organized does not mean that they carry the brain baggage of OCD. Further, some people with OCD aren't organized at all. Their obsessions may be about whether they're good people or whether they might harm themselves or others. Let's keep our focus on what's most important. As parents, we want to offer our children the tools and resources to launch them into successful adult lives. If our kids had reading problems, we would do what we needed to do to help them read. If they had visual impairment, we would get them glasses. Kent Colors was completely blind, and he wanted to be an experimental physicist when he grew up. So he learned Braille. He found ways of getting around the barriers he uniquely faced and made his dreams come true. Yes, poorly managed OCD can potentially be a barrier to your child's success. However, your children can learn how to manage their brains so they too can make their dreams come true. Undoubtedly, you'll run into people who think that OCD is a fad. This is usually because they don't have direct experience with it. If they lived in the home of somebody with OCD, they would have no doubts. What do you do when you see a Facebook post 
that shows a picture of an organized kitchen cabinet and somebody comments, that's so OCD. You can decide if you want to go to battle and try to educate people. However, if your family members or friends wonder if OCD is real, educate them. Send them this podcast episode. And if your child wonders if OCD is real or not, you can say, I understand why you question the diagnosis. Yes, everything that you're experiencing is part of the human condition. Yes, everyone has unwanted thoughts. Yes, everyone has a way to manage their anxiety. Instead of focusing on the label, let's talk about what's most important. That's developing the skills and tools so that you are in charge of your brain rather than your brain being in charge of you. You want the freedom to get out and do the things that you love to do. I want you to dream big and make those dreams come true. I trust that you'll get there and I'm here to support you. Well, thanks for stopping by. I hope that you found value in this podcast. Please feel welcome to leave a review. Share this podcast with people in your life supporting your child. Do you have a specific parenting challenge? Please feel welcome to schedule a 15-minute complimentary consultation with me. You have the power to be a force for healing in your child's life. You can be an OCD power parent helping your child with confidence and competence. We're here to show you how. See you in the next podcast episode.